You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Don't ever let someone else's opinion of you become your opinion of yourself. The first time I heard that, it was spoken by a wonderful motivational speaker and a mentor of mine, Mr. Les Brown. And those words were spoken to Les when he was a little boy by a teacher who changed his life with those very words. Les had been asked to go up to the board and write something on it. And he said to the teacher, I can't do it, sir. And he said, why not? And he said, because I'm the stupid brother. And at that point, the teacher told him, don't ever let someone else's opinion of you become your opinion of yourself. I want to ask you, what about the role that you play at work? Isn't that part of your identity? Of course it is. And just like an opinion, you've got to ask yourself, who chose this identity? Did you really choose it or did you give in to somebody else's desires and needs? Your parents, your peer group, maybe someone you looked up to. And the next important question is, are you happy with the role you are playing? And if not, are you willing to write a different story and create a new role to play? Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I'm excited to announce that our sponsor is Audible. They are offering you, our listeners, a free download of one of your favorite audio books. You get to choose from 180,000 titles, and you also get a one-month free trial of Audible's entire service. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. That is www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. For your convenience, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio, as well as the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. Because the theme of the show is change your story, change your life, I've created a free gift for you, my listeners. It is an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life in Business. You can download it immediately at www.changeyourstorypodcast.com. One of the most rewarding things in this podcast for me is my ongoing dialogue with you, my storytellers, my listeners. Let's continue that dialogue. Keep sending your comments about what you're getting from the show and what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send them to 
Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. I promise to read every message I receive and to choose some of them to share with you on the show. Today's guest is a man who was living in a role that he didn't like so much. And then he created a new role that brings him health, wealth, and joy. You'll love his story about how he wrote himself out of the old role and into his new one. I'm not going to steal his thunder by telling you everything about him in his bio. I'll tell you that in his own words, he's a digital marketing fanatic. He's a triathlete. He's a husband and a father to four kids. And his company car is a go-kart. With that said, I am excited and honored to welcome A.J. Wilcox to the show. A.J., welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thanks so much, Lewis. I'm so excited to be here. Hey, man, this is going to be fun. You know, like I usually do, I like to begin at the beginning. Tell me where you're from. Where were you born? Sure. So I was actually born in the state of Utah and... Uh, ended up moving when I was about 11 uh, with my family down to Arizona. And so I tend to claim Arizona when people say, where are you from? But I, I was actually born in Utah and I moved back uh, for college and then never left. So I'm a Utah. Well, what did you study in college? Yeah. So I, I knew uh, my dad and I would, would go through like the Super Bowl commercials and we'd talk about what audience they were, they were intended for and, you know, dissect the, those types of messages. And so I knew I wanted to go into marketing, even though I didn't know what marketing was. I thought marketing was just advertising. And so I ended up, when I got into college, started studying marketing and got my degree. When you got your degree, did you, I believe you went into um, a traditional job, yes? I did, yeah. I, I always really loved entrepreneurship and really respected those who were entrepreneurs. But I always told myself, ah, you know what? You, you're not really cut out to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I would attend events. We have a local event here called Launch Up, which is like uh, an entrepreneur's paradise of getting together and getting to network with other professionals. Um, and I would go to these events because I love the energy, but I never told myself that I could do it. Uh-huh. So, in other words, you were creating a story that basically said, I can't. That's exactly right. And, and I figured maybe I could, but uh, I didn't really have the guts to try. You know, it's interesting. I was reading recently that Gandhi apparently said uh, that uh, we generally become the person that we believe to be. So, <laughs> it's quite interesting. We are creating our reality all the time. That's fascinating. By the way, who would you say were the greatest influences on you as you were growing up? Uh, you know, I have to say my dad. He's he's still my best friend. And uh, I had lots of friends in high school who I would come home from a date or something and my friends would be there and I'd go, oh, my friends are here to, to hang out with me. And they'd be like, no, we came here to talk to your dad. So he's just he's just that great of a guy. Uh, he's always been my my mentor. Um and he's not an entrepreneur. Uh, it, in fact, he's ultra conservative like I am, but I still I still look up to him and, and take his advice anytime I can possibly do it. So what is it about specifically that, that you look up to in your father? 
you know, he's a banker. He's always worked in banking. And so he would give me great financial advice. He would tell me things like, you know, the richest people I've ever met were, were not people that you'd ever know that they were, they were wealthy. And the people that you really go, ah, this guy is, he drives a Ferrari. He's got to be wealthy. Those are the people who are furthest in debt. And I think <laughs> it, it helped me become a better judge of character. Wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. When you were a, a young kid, did you dream specifically about becoming something? I know you said you were interested in marketing, but did you have like a childhood dream? You know, I want to be this when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. When I, when, I, when I was in fourth grade, I told my grandpa that I was going to go into the NBA. I was going to become a basketball player. And he took one look at me. I'm, I, I was uh, not six foot six at the time, nor am I now. And, uh, and I was not a skinny kid. And so he was just like, no, you better find a new dream kid. He, he was kind of a, a gruff dude. But, um, but yeah, that, that's what I wanted to be when I, when I grew up was, was a basketball player. Do you like basketball? Do you play it? Not, not anymore. I think that stopped probably when I was in seventh grade. But you, uh, but you did like it. I did. Yes. Cool. Cool. So let me ask you: Were there any personal stumbling blocks that you had to overcome to get where you are today? Because today you are an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I had one big stumbling block, which was a steady, uh, a steady income, a high-paying income. Um, so I, I guess I'll, I'll launch in here into this story. I started out uh, in digital marketing. I've been doing digital marketing for about the last ten years, and really enjoyed it. I got recruited into a local technology company here uh, in the state of Utah that had uh, uh it was kind of the envy of all of, of of my peers most of us ended up applying for the same position uh great new startup with a lot of funding and so i went in uh really excited to be in this position it was a really high stress environment uh high arrogance type of company and so you know i, I was plugging along felt like you know even if i don't love what i'm doing i still like i'm still the envy of all of my my uh, other digital marketers that I, I work with. So I could never leave this job. And then one day I got walked to the, the HR department and realized I was being let go. And that was the kick I needed to say, Oh, you know what? I've been, I've had this idea for some time. Now's the time. Wow. Now, when you say digital marketing, can you flesh that out a bit and tell us specifically what you, what you did for the company? Sure. So uh, many of your listeners may have heard of something called search engine optimization, the the concept of getting your site to the top of Google. Uh, I did that really heavily for about eight years. Um, also really liked doing advertising on Google, Google AdWords. I got into doing some Facebook advertising, specifically at that company that I was let go from. I, I learned LinkedIn advertising and became the world's best at that. Um, so that was that was the the type of digital marketing that I would do. Wow. Let me ask you, when you got, uh, when they let you go, did you go through a period of uh, doubt, fear, etc. before you <laughs> launched into your own? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a father of four kids. I, I've got a wife that uh, is highly conservative financially like me. Um, we are big savers. And so the concept of all of a sudden not having income coming in was just terrifying to us. Uh, I remember you know, when I finally got the head to sit down and go through finances, me and my wife looked at it and she said, okay, we have some runway here because of our savings to put a business together. But in, you know, 
uh, 11 months from now, if we don't have, if, if something isn't materializing, you've got to go get a job. And for us to have that runway, we need to not spend a single penny that we don't have to. It was the most stressful time of my life. I've got a little bald patch to, to prove it. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Lots of stress for the breadwinner. And so what, uh, describe what you started to create. So when I was uh, when I was at this company running LinkedIn advertising campaigns and, and all the other digital marketing channels as well, um, but I would have a question about LinkedIn advertising. So I'd go to Google and I'd type it in. How do you do this on LinkedIn ads? And there are zero results. No one was talking about it. No one else apparently was having success on LinkedIn advertising. And I couldn't learn from anyone else. So I, I would figure it out. I would run tests. I would learn. And after about two years of this, I started telling my wife when I came home for dinner, honey, I think I see a market opportunity here. No one else is doing anything here. No one's talking about it. Maybe that could be me. So, but now you said that that took you a couple of years, but she had given you an 11 month window. Yeah. So, I mean, this was still while I was working at that job. I was bringing up to her, there's a market opportunity here. I could go and start an agency or a consultancy or something around LinkedIn advertising. Wow. And, she, and she all the while was saying, you know, we kind of like that steady paycheck. We kind of like having insurance. Uh, maybe that's not such a good idea. So by the time I got let, let go, um, she said, first of all, go get some job offers just so we have some options here. And, uh, and second of all, let's keep talking about this. And eventually, you know, I got four job offers. All of them were well into the six figures. They were more money than I'd ever made before in my life. So all of them would have been attractive to that point. Um, but you know, we're faithful people. We were, uh, taking it in, in prayer and, you know, trying to decide what the best path was. And we felt guided to, go off on, on our own and start B2Linked. So that was that was our journey. It's called B2Linked. Yep. Letter so, B, number two, wordlinked.com. So what would be the first step that you took? Because here you are, you're basically now a pioneer all of a sudden, a conservative guy who was an employee, and now you're a pioneer, and you're creating something that didn't exist. So what was the first step? What did you do? It's fascinating. Yeah, so I, I knew I had to make a name for myself because I was someone that no one had ever heard of outside of maybe if you did search engine optimization, uh, you may have heard of me at some point. Um, so I immediately went, uh, the first thing I did was invited everyone out to lunch who had been my friend for a while that I hadn't caught up with, up with because I needed them to know what I was doing and uh, and see if, if there were any opportunities that they were aware of. Um, I also reached out to uh, several software and marketing blogs who would do things like podcasts and webinars. And I would say, hey, I have a lot of expertise in this topic you've never covered before. Uh, would you maybe want to have me on as a guest? And then number three, I went to every in-person networking event I could find to just start solidifying relationships. Wow, good for you, man. That that takes a lot of courage, man. It really does. <laughs> and I mean, you, you want to talk about getting out of your comfort zone. That's like major. Oh, yeah, it was it was just the scariest thing I've ever been through in my entire life. <laughs> well, I, I know, you know, look, I, I'm also uh, a network marketer. And we're always faced with that, you know, getting out of our comfort zone, going out there and uh, reaching out to new people, and it's it's always daunting, always. 
Incredible. What is your take on what social media is? I un- I really feel that so many people are using social media, but they don't really know what it is. Like it's being, you know, they don't think, you know, like Facebook is often for a lot of people just a pastime and a place to gossip and, you know, uh, share trivia, etc. But what is, how would you as a professional describe what social media is in our world today? So social media has so many different facets to it. And I wish I had a really smooth answer for you here that I had like thought about and and planned out. But realistically, I mean, social media means different things to different people. Like for me, I'm a big fan of Twitter. Twitter is my news source. That's how I find out what what changes in in the online marketing world, what Google did, what Facebook's doing. Um, Twitter is my news. Like I don't I don't turn on the news. I don't read newspaper. I go to Twitter for that. And uh, it can also be an information source where, you know, you go for resources. Like every time I log into LinkedIn, I can look at, at my feed and see what people are offering, what people are talking about, what resources people are looking for, and I know how to interact. Uh, and then third, I think it's a, a way of getting in touch. Uh, it, it's really easy when you're, you're trying to get a hold of someone you can shoot them an email and they can ignore that. But maybe if you found their their Twitter or their Facebook or their LinkedIn and you reach out with a personalized message, you are so much more likely to get a response there. So it's a great way of just starting conversations. You know, I love what you said about Twitter being your, uh, your news source. I'll bet that's an aha for some of the listeners. It's interesting that just yesterday I was listening to something, an interview with Gary Vaynerchuk, who wrote Crush It, and uh, um, you're familiar with his books? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he's, he's coming to town next week. I'm going to go see him live. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Yeah, of course, then there's jab, 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 right hook. And uh, he said that to him, Twitter is the, I, I wouldn't say only, but it's like the pure social media. It's 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 like the his his number one is as well. How did you fall in love with LinkedIn? Because LinkedIn became your specialty. Yeah. Well, I'll say I have had a LinkedIn profile ever since I was in college. So probably 2007 is when I signed up for that, and always used it as a kind of a rolodex. This is the way that I keep track of of who the people I know are and what they're currently doing. And I, I didn't use it to market. And in fact, I still almost don't use it to market. Um, but when I started running LinkedIn advertising campaigns, I, I've, I've run all kinds of advertising campaigns. I mean, every channel you can you can think of, I've been involved in. And But I ended up having a ton of success on LinkedIn. And my... I guess magnetism towards LinkedIn was more of a market opportunity. I could be just as passionate about Facebook ads. I could be just as as passionate about Twitter advertising, but instead I I went with LinkedIn because I'm the, uh, I'm probably the the most knowledgeable on the subject in the world. Um, So that was what gives me an opportunity to run a business. I don't think I could run the same business being just, just another Facebook advertiser, for instance. Well, you know what's interesting? Like you said, you don't use it to market, and yet uh, maybe I'm I not 100% clear on that because it sounds like LinkedIn is building your business, so aren't you marketing with LinkedIn? Uh, that's a good point. When I look at LinkedIn, I see two different 
platforms. I see the organic platform where I know lots of people who mine their connections and nurture them and they're actively reaching out to people to grow their network. And I don't do that. And then I look at the advertising platform, which is very different. You're paying every time someone clicks uh, and you're just using the same data and appearing in those spots. So I uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't use my, my LinkedIn presence and try to mine connections from it. I, my goal is literally just, just to connect to interesting people. You use it to advertise what? Yeah, so my clients are going to be any, anywhere from uh, software providers to recruiters to uh, sales of high-value products. Anything in business-to-business where, where LinkedIn's targeting is absolutely bar none the best. And so that, those are the types of people I'm going to run campaigns for. And we're going to use LinkedIn's data of who, uh, you know, when we know what job title is the decision maker, we can target only people who have that job title, or we can target only people who are in the C-suite, or only people who have certain skills and are in certain geographies. You can get really crazy about uh, about who you're targeting, and you can make sure that every single lead that you develop is going to be from someone of a really high value to your business. And then those ads are usually, because it's social media, you're usually going to reach out with some sort of free offer, something that will uh, attract the attention and solve a pain of your your target market. And in exchange for that piece of content, that help, uh, you're going to extract their email address. And then you can begin kind of a nurture sequence there, keeping the relationship going and, and seeing if you can be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned something when you're talking about the targeting specifically, and you use the word it was C, C something. What was that? C suite. Oh, yes, the C suite. So, what, some what people, is that? Some people call it the, the CXOs, uh, but the chief executive, whatever. Uh, anyone who's the very top level of a company, um, C suite, chief execs, um, those types of folks. This intrigues me. What are the things that people still really misunderstand about social media? Because there's a lot of misuse of it. Yeah, really good question. Uh, I think specifically as it relates to LinkedIn, um, some people still believe that uh, you should treat LinkedIn like Facebook. So if you had something you were going to post on Facebook, you could go and post exactly the same thing on LinkedIn. That just makes people irate. <laughs> no one wants to hear about what you did last weekend or or see pictures of your family on LinkedIn, uh, but they do want to see things that pertain to, to the, their career. Um, so first of all, just understand that the content is going to be different to this very professional audience. And second of all, I think when you're approaching marketing on LinkedIn, uh, a lot of people go, okay, LinkedIn advertising, I'm paying to show someone an ad. That means I can, I can say whatever I want to them. And that's uh, literally true, but people aren't going to, to interact with your ad very well when it feels like an ad. So Approach it from from the concept of you are on the social media platform LinkedIn. You are looking through your feed. You're seeing all these other people, you know, information about what's happening in someone's career, uh, new company that someone else joined, and then you're going to see this. It's got to be helpful. This ad. Uh, it has to be something that edifies them in their professional journey. And you can't just show an ad that says "Hop on the phone with our sales reps" or. Uh, Let's connect so I can show you a demo or uh, jump on this 
14 day free trial. Those types of offers don't work very well because you're derailing someone from something that they're already doing. Those types of offers are really good for something like Google AdWords, where people are searching specifically for a product or a service that you're offering. Mm, that's that's a great insight. Could, could you give us an example of an ad that you did that put, stands out for you that really worked well? Yeah. Um, one thing that's really interesting about LinkedIn is when you look up and down your feed, sometimes you'll see images. And for the most part, those images are going to be stock photos. They're going to be the images you recognize of a, a girl in the headset in the call center or uh, people in suits shaking hands over a conference table, those types of images. And so some of the most successful campaigns I've ever run have been using images like uh that looked like they were from a comic book or something that, um, you know, was an illustration showing, uh, two business people giving each other high fives in bright colors. Um, those have driven some of the highest engagement rates and some of the lowest costs that I've ever seen. So th that's great. Now, what would, let's say, uh, they, they would look at that and then what, if they clicked on it, what would it lead them to that would, that they would perceive as something of value to continue the engagement? Yeah. So what I generally recommend is, is giving someone as an offer, something like an, an ebook or a white paper of some kind, uh, access to a free webinar, uh, a checklist, you know, something like that, 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 is directly applicable to a pain they're feeling. And so in this case, uh, I'll use an example of one of the most successful offers I've seen was called the Definitive Guide to Onboarding. And it's from a company who provides HR software. And so of course you're targeting HR people, you know that they're having trouble onboarding client, or sorry, not clients, uh, employees, they want to make sure that they, they're there for the long haul, they're going to stay, they're being trained properly. And so this guide was all about how to do this properly. And by the time you got to the end of the guide, you realized how complex that was to do without software that took care of a lot of the, the loose ends there. And so of course, you'd, you'd say, okay, well, I should talk to this company about ways of automating all this. And that became a very successful campaign. Mm, I love that. That is it. Guys, AJ just gave you, if you're a marketer, a million-dollar lesson right there. It's <laughs> worth, yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, talk about delivering real value, real content, rather than saying, buy my stuff, educating them by addressing a need that you know they have and giving them stuff. In other words, I get the feeling that if they don't click on, if they don't go the next step and seek out the software, they probably have learned something enough of value from that, that it could begin to help them solve their problem already. Oh, absolutely. And it leaves a really good taste in their mouth. They'll remember who your brand is. And so maybe they don't need software right then. But maybe six months, uh, that person goes to leave to run HR at a different company. And that now you're the first one that they think of when they start looking for software. So you never know how far that goodwill is going to spread. Oh, this is great. I mean, because what I'm hearing is this is beyond digital marketing. This is just in today's world, in today's climate. I think that that is the approach for people to take if they want to expand and build any business. 
I totally agree. In fact, I've, I've talked to, so I'm kind of at the tail end of the millennials. And so I kind of consider myself a millennial. And I look at the way that I react to sales offers and I go, wow, all these people who are hard, you know, hard sale, uh, high pressure types of sales, they are absolutely going to die when the millennials are the only people left to sell to because we, we hate salespeople. We hate being sold to, but we love researching and we love content and learning. And so the entire sales uh, industry is going to have to adapt and learn how to sell how to sell when it's not, you know, the, the old uh, always be always be closing mentality. That's great, because what I'm hearing and uh, fits right into the theme of my show is that they're gonna have to learn an entirely different sales story. And I sure hope they do. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of them are, but a lot of them are going to stumble and burn. Now, <laughs> what were the biggest mistakes that you made on your road to mastery in this field? You know, I've spent so many millions of dollars uh, and not always making mistakes, but you know, so many millions of dollars going into ads. And uh, because I'm pushing such high volumes, uh, when I make a mistake, it's usually very costly. Um, so I would say I have a list of probably, you know, five things that I would suggest to people. But I think the biggest one is uh, consider your uh, the budget and the audience. So for instance, if you're if you're going after an audience that is only three or four thousand people, um, you can afford to say, I am willing to pay as much as I can for that audience to just be in front of them. And it's still a small audience. You're not going to spend very much money. You might spend, you know, two or three hundred dollars in a month. But if you if you're targeting an audience that is several million people, um, you know you're going to be able to fill that budget. So don't set what what we call in digital marketing your bids. Uh, don't bid very high for that traffic. Uh, bid very low because you're going to get second rate traffic. The traffic that's not uh, that's not the the what I'd say the highest volume of traffic, but you'll get enough to fill a small budget. So be aware of what uh, what bidding does to your traffic levels, and be okay with not bidding super aggressively if you are uh, if you have a small budget anyway. That will give mm. you the the cheapest traffic. Hmm. What would you say LinkedIn offers marketers that Facebook doesn't? Oh, so Facebook has five B2B targeting facets that, that are really good. So you can use job title, uh, you can use their job level seniority, their company name, their company size, and their company industry. And all of those are really helpful, and those are all facets that LinkedIn offers. But th the issue is when I go in and start running a Facebook ads campaign to those people, um, I will eventually hit the limit of of how many people were actually willing to put that into their personal face to, sorry Facebook profile. Uh, it's a very personal network, and not everyone's putting their job title in or the company they work for. Whereas with LinkedIn, that's the very basics of what you put into your profile. And so, what LinkedIn offers you, it costs quite a bit more, but what they offer you is. Uh, absolute targeting at scale that Facebook's only going to offer you a very small sample. Mm. You say it costs much more than Facebook advertising, yeah? Yeah. Usually on Facebook, I'm seeing people pay between 80 cents and $1.50 every time someone clicks. On LinkedIn, it's generally somewhere between 6 and $8. So it's, wow. it's, it's on the order of you know five to eight times more a lot of times. 
But still, if you compare that cost to traditional advertising, magazines, newspapers, TV, it's still not much money, is it? No. And in fact, if you know that you're hitting exactly the right person, let's say you're trying to sell to CEOs, how else are you going to make sure that your ads are only shown to CEOs of tech companies with more than 200 employees? That's mm. There just isn't another way to do that. Wow. that This is fabulous stuff. Did you hear that sound in the background? Yes. Was that a cat? That's my cat. <laughs> she's... Uh, She's jealous that she's not a guest on the show. <laughs> so she's making sure that she's going to get her voice in there. <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, what are your tips to anyone who's trying to build any kind of business on, on LinkedIn for to achieve maximum success with that platform? Yeah. So here's, here's a concept for you on on other social media platforms, we'll use Twitter for example, when someone when someone sees your tweet and they like it, it's essentially just an acknowledgement to you that that they're supporting you. Uh, that that tweet will will show the like. They may get a notification that says your friend hit like on what you just shared, and it's it's acknowledgement that the things you're sharing are engaging to people. On LinkedIn, however, if someone hits like comment or share on your on your post what it does then is it it uh, propagates to their own network and so whereas on other networks it might just be an acknowledgement that someone's supporting you on linkedin when someone hits like uh it then is shared out to everyone that they're connected to which gives the, you this extreme opportunity for virality so uh i think it's all about sharing things that are engaging, truly engaging, even if it doesn't have a call to action on it, to get that message out to the networks of your networks of your networks. And that's how you get real, uh, real reach on, on LinkedIn. Mm, that's a big one, man. I love that. Now, what are the things that people should absolutely not do on LinkedIn, which you probably see a lot of? I do, yeah. Th those are all the people who fill out my contact form on the website and say, <laughs> hey, we just spend a lot of money. Can you diagnose what our problem is? Um, <laughs> I, I would say, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, don't treat LinkedIn like Facebook. Uh, don't share things about your, your personal life unless it deals with business. Uh, don't share things about politics or religion or, you know, any of the divisive subjects. Um, from an advertising perspective, though, uh, I would say... Don't follow the the uh, the guidance that LinkedIn gives you when you first set up a campaign. They tell you that any ads that you show, you should show to at least a group of 300,000 people. And I directly disagree with that. Um, I think you should show to the very smallest group possible to make sure that you know exactly who these people are and you can tune your message to them. So don't be afraid to just dip your toe in the water. Don't throw tons of money out there to see what sticks. Dip your toe in the water. Be as targeted as you possibly can with both your message and your audience and see if your offer resonates. And if your offer doesn't resonate, if you if you've you know spent let's say three or four hundred dollars on ads and no one's filled out your form yet, pause it immediately. Go retool your messaging, your offer, your audience, whatever you need to do to, to make sure that you're being successful. Uh, I hate to see people just waste money. 
That's great. That is wonderful. Do you have any tips for people who are not advertising with LinkedIn, but are just out there trying to build a network that they can eventually turn into business? Any tips for things that they shouldn't do? Because again, people will create profiles that don't serve them. They'll do all sorts of stuff. What do you see? Yeah, I think my biggest fear. So I I don't really face this issue because I only connect to people that I know. Um, But there are a lot of people out there who just are looking to to build their network and they will connect to anyone that's, that's uh, allowing them to, uh, to open a connection. So um, I have seen a lot of what you're talking about with fake profile creation, mining LinkedIn for data to, to do direct sales. So here's the, I think the biggest, uh, uh, I'll call it aha that I had anyone that you're connected to on LinkedIn, you can go into your account and export all of your connections to a spreadsheet. And in that spreadsheet will be your personal email address. And so be aware that anyone that you connect with can get access to that email address uh, by just hitting download. Um, that can be really scary from the perspective of, you know, we're, we as marketers, we all know that uh, we're supposed to be building lists. We're supposed to be nurturing and and reaching out to people. Uh, but there are there are some some bad actors in marketing as uh, who just do a lot of spam as well. And so. Be aware, like don't be a spammer and then don't end up on someone's spam list because you just, you saw a profile and decided to accept the the connection request from it. Mm, That's great. That's great stuff, man. Now, can you make a comparison between a live networking event and social media networking? Because I think people tend to forget sometimes that it's, you're going out to an event where there are a lot of people congregating. Yeah, I, I totally agree with the comparison. You know, I do a lot of personal networking, and uh, and I I'm an extrovert in small groups. But you get me into a big room of of you know where I don't know anyone, and I turn into an introvert and a wallflower pretty dang quickly. Um, so I think the comparison that I would draw is in personal networking. I think. Uh, you have these set questions that you can ask to start a conversation. What do you do? Uh, where do you work? Um, you know, tell me about yourself, those kinds of lines, but I would not open with something like that on, on social networking. I think in social networking, uh, it's a completely different construct. We have a different story. So, um, yeah, I would approach it a little bit differently, understanding the fact that they're essentially the same thing. They're just two different media. So what kind of things would be valuable to open with and uh, on a social network? So on social networks, like for instance, when I see someone on LinkedIn that I would like to get to know, I can look at their profile and say, oh, we went to the same college or, hey, we have a friend in common. And so I can start immediately basing our conversation on commonalities. Hey, I see that we have a common friend in so-and-so. Uh, you know, I trust anyone he trusts. I'd love to, to connect with you, that sort of thing. Um, that would be really creepy in an in-person networking if you went up to him and said, hey, I know everything about you. <laughs> so that, that's mm. probably the way I would do it is, is you have a little bit of opportunity to see someone's background, to see what they're putting out. You have more opportunity to research. Right, and then to begin... Uh, a more natural kind of conversation based on what you have in common. 
Yes, that's exactly right. And okay. it's not like you're going to cut right to the chase and start selling someone, but you can get deeper into conversation quicker without having to hear everyone's 60 second commercial to see if you have anything in common. Okay. <laughs> now, what are the best online organic or, or free traffic sources? You know, I have to say probably, uh, I'm going to stick with Facebook is number one, LinkedIn number two, and Twitter number three. Um, LinkedIn is great because when you very first start on Twitter, it's really hard to build up your followers because there, there's no basis. But on LinkedIn, it's really easy to have a basis because these are all the people, you know, past colleagues you've worked with and and friends and neighbors, anyone that you've connected to. So it's really easy to start with a base level of people who care about what you have to say. And Facebook is exactly the same way. I mean, these are essentially your friends um, and Maybe you have more friends than you have business associates. So mm -hmm. uh, I think those are great places. Anywhere for free that you can build an audience is fantastic. And then th I think those are the three easiest places to build a free audience. Now, what are, we've touched on it uh, a bit already, but what would you say are the most effective and cost-efficient paid traffic sources? Oh, I, I've got to say, uh, it depends a little bit on what kind of business you have, uh, but I have to say, hands down, it's going to be Facebook ads. Uh, like I mentioned with the fact that Facebook is uh, you know, a fifth to an eighth the cost of, of LinkedIn ads, uh, even being an, a LinkedIn ads fanatic, I'm going to tell someone, hey, if you have something to test, you might as well test it out on, on the lower cost types of activities. So Nothing is as low-cost advertising with the same level of targeting as Facebook. It's a great place to start. And uh, and then with social media, it tends to be really good for companies who have a disruptive product. Maybe you have a product or a service that there are no keywords out there that people are actively searching for to find you because they don't know that – they don't know that what you do exists yet. And so it's all about getting in front of them uh, and showing them that you exist. But if you do have something like, let's say you're starting a business that has really established keywords around it, like, uh, um, like insurance agent or, uh, or car sales or, you know, things like that. If you're in that kind of business, I think Bing ads is going to be your best place to start. It's uh, just like Google AdWords. In fact, they work really hard to make sure that it's essentially identical. Um, but there's less competition than Google AdWords. And so you have a lower cost per click uh, with all of your interactions. So mm. my, t my top two are going to be Facebook ads and Bing ads. That's great. Now, where should people begin to study those platforms, the advertising platforms? Because I even, I mean, that can be daunting to, to learn the ins and outs of it. Uh, are there good courses? Do you give courses? What, what would you recommend? Oh, this is an excellent question. So uh, I was a guest on a podcast here recently uh, called, I think it's called PPC 101. PPC stands for pay per click. And so it's essentially a podcast, a 101 level course of how to get started using search advertising, which is essentially uh, most of what they're going to talk about is going to be um, Google advertising. But Again, the same stuff applies to, to Bing ads. So that's a really good place to start. Um, also, because there are so many people who do Facebook advertising and, and Google AdWords advertising, there are lots of courses out there. And uh, I have 
lots of contacts I know who offer these courses, but I haven't ever taken them. So I, I think I'd be remiss if I mentioned one of them without truly knowing if it was better than any others. Uh, okay. But there is a lot of information out there. Now, if you want to attack LinkedIn, uh, the whole reason I got into this was because no one else was out there talking about it. So I am in the process of creating a course. If you go to b2linked.com, you can sign up to be notified when my first course comes out. And the first one will be free to anyone who's on that list. Um, so if you want to check out LinkedIn advertising, come to my website. And and there are a few others, but I, I don't like any of the others. Okay. <laughs> That's great stuff. Now, how would you recommend that people combine organic traffic with paid traffic to maximize their marketing efforts? Oh, I love this question because I don't think that you should. I, I oh. think both of them should be parts of, of your marketing efforts, but... In online marketing, we have this really awesome ability to track all of the activity that happens because of an advertisement we, we drew. So you can do things like with Facebook ads or with LinkedIn ads, you can promote something that you've already published organically. And I look at that and go, okay, that's great. You've taken something that, uh, that worked really well to your audience, and then you've pushed it out to people who don't know, like, and trust you yet, and it's going to perform quite differently. And now, because they're all going to the same, uh, the same page on your website, you can't tell the difference between the two. How many of these, uh, these leads came from people that you already know um, and people who already you have rapport with, or how many came from dollars that you spent reaching out? And so I purposely like to keep both of these activities very separate. Share things organically and then share it could even be the same thing but with different links that you can track on your advertising and then you can always tell exactly hey i paid you know x dollars and i got y leads out of it um, you can't do that when you mix the two mm. now what about uh how, how can people or do you feel they can effectively marry the different platforms to use them together to build their brand and their marketing impact. So they're using LinkedIn, they're using Twitter, they're using Facebook. How can they, can they create like an exponential clout by utilizing certain strategies? Oh, I sure think so. I mean, it's all about having a unified message. I'm obviously a really big fan of LinkedIn, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that I'm going to tell everyone, oh, LinkedIn is the only platform you should be on. I think that, especially in business-to-business -business marketing like I'm in, uh, I, I feel like any way that you can be in front of your ideal customer, you should do it, whether that's uh, you know Facebook ads, whether it is or is not LinkedIn ads, uh, whether it's Google AdWords or Bing ads. It doesn't matter as long as you find a way to be in front of them. So I think, first of all, figure out the targeting that you have available in all the channels. Does it work for your customer? Can you be in front of them? If the answer is yes, great. You know, Even if it's really, really small budgets, make sure that you're constantly spending just a little bit to stay in front of them. And then as for uh, how to... Uh, how to make sure you have a cohesive message. I think what you do is if you're sharing an offer on one of your, your channels, make sure you're sharing the same type of thing across all of the channels. And it's, it means that if someone happens upon you on Facebook, but then they see you later at LinkedIn, it's all reminding them of the same thing that you've been telling them all along. So mm. yeah, keep the message cohesive. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Now, one of the things I find is that the the internet lends itself to a a mentality that says, you know, I can do almost everything for free. And it's not true. Can you compare (laughs) the cost of doing a brick-and-mortar business with the cost of doing an online business? Oh, uh, brick and mortar is so expensive. I mean, even just thinking about how I how I've built my own agency, if I had to do so with paying overhead of of retail staff and location and physical product and you know all those types of things, those are just all expenses that I would have to pay back over time. So um, yeah, the in person just scares me to death because. In online, uh, we just have no overhead, and it's so much easier to start a business and to charge less for what we do and still make the same amount of money. Um, so I think that's my comparison. Hopefully that doesn't like crap on any of the retail folks. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's the absolute truth. I mean, this is why you know, like network marketing is appealing to people because of the low entry cost, because you can do a lot of it online, you know, etc. What about you probably see a lot of network marketers on LinkedIn because it's it's a huge platform for that. Do you have any feeling about how they use the platform, how they use it or abuse it? You know, I live in the state of Utah, and this is kind of network marketing heaven here. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> I, um, and so I, I, I do... I am connected with with several people uh, who use LinkedIn in that way. Um, the The people, I, I will say that the people that you try to push a message uh, it will repel you the fastest. And so the ones that I still stay connected to, the ones I still pay to, uh, pay attention to what they say, uh, they're sharing value. They're they're being of value, and they're not constantly trying to sell you. Um, so that would be my recommendation. If you're on LinkedIn, uh, don't always talk about the, the business opportunity and the product. Uh, share value that, that people will find uh, help to themselves and their businesses through. And I think people will be more willing to listen to you. Mm-hmm. That is wonderful advice. Now, what do you say to people who are afraid to invest in any paid advertising online? <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I've been there. I started out in search engine optimization because it's essentially free internet marketing. It's internet marketing that you can put uh, effort into to be found by search engines, and then all of that traffic comes for free. Uh, But what really eventually turned me off about search engine optimization was that I could make a change now, not see the effect of that for six months, and so to a client, what do you say? You've been paying me for the past five months and we don't see the results. And then when the results do happen, how do I know to take credit for that versus you know, other marketing activities that, that that company is doing? And so because of that lack of attribution, I feel like that's even scarier than when we put money into online advertising. We know what we spent today. We know how many leads or sales we got out of it by midnight tonight. And you can make an ROI calculation. And that's really powerful to know what is what exactly is working and what should we not spend money on in the future? So I think it's a speed of, of data type of issue. So you don't really use SEO much anymore. I, I mean, I don't, I don't go out and specifically try to build links to my website anymore. I, I may spend a little bit of time thinking about what keywords I want to put on pages and where, but it's not a focus for me anymore. I would much rather pay a few bucks to see what, uh, what works and make sure I get exactly the right people there. Wonderful. You know, I want to jump back a little bit, you know, because I remember 
early on, we were talking about the fact your wife said 11 months, you know, that's about it. Let's see what's going to happen here. Can you kind of give us the highlights of your journey from zero to a point where you knew that you were successful? Yeah. So uh, first, let's say first four months were really scary. I was obviously worried about providing for my family. By month five, I had enough clients that I went, Ooh, we're going to be okay. And by the end of month five, uh, I had eclipsed my previous salary at a tech company. And so after, I mean, when you go off on your own and you've replaced a corporate salary, that's kind of the beginning of the dream, right? I, I got really excited. And then ever since then, it's been essentially a rocket ship. I mean, we've, uh, we've taken the business to what never in a million years did I ever think I could start a business that, that would pr- provide freedom and, uh, and the financial abilities to go and have experiences and, uh, you know, do what we want, take vacations, that kind of thing. So, uh, that was, that was kind of the flow. That's fantastic. You know, when you say now, after about five months, you said you had surpassed the income from the corporate world. And at this stage, like, uh, how much farther ahead are you from that salary? Oh, uh, easily five to 10 X. Um, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. That is wonderful. Oh yeah. And I could never go back and work for someone ever again because I get to make my own schedule. And I, and I know if someone's willing to pay you six figures for a job you're doing, it means you're bringing them at least five X that value. So if you're doing it yourself, you get to retain all of that five X on, on the value you provide. So right, uh, right. I'm a huge fan of, of, you know, starting your own business, if you can find something that you're very best at in the entire world. You know, um, you said the first four months were kind of scary. Um, How much were you putting out financially? And how much were you seeing come back, let's say, in month two? You know, all of the the networking I was doing, all of the prospect I was doing, uh, they weren't from paid sources, it was all word of mouth, it was all, you know, working relationships. Um, So, we we really didn't spend much money, but I do have a, an interesting story from uh, there in that first kind of four month period. Um, we were, I mean, me and my wife, I remember we had a fight about uh, she bought the craft macaroni and cheese for the kids one day, and we got in a fight because that was the the brand name, and I told her she should have gotten the the non brand name and saved ten cents. So that's kind of how we were with with cash early on, and then. Uh, there in about month four after starting the company, I decided that, uh, and I'll tell you like spoiler alert, about two thirds of my clientele are in, are in San Francisco. And I knew that being in San Francisco was going to be really, really helpful to the business because I saw a lot of leads and a lot of big advertisers there. So there in month four, I decided I was going to plan a trip to California and I reached out to all of my all of my friends, friends at LinkedIn, friends at uh, at other other agencies and brands who might use LinkedIn advertising. And I told him, Hey, I'm going to be here on a certain date. I'd love to get together. And, and I called this my, my fake it till you make it tour. I booked a plane ticket with no goal in mind, uh, with no set meetings. And by the time I got there, I had filled up my calendar to make sure I, I went and met with all these people. And I left with uh, with an understanding of what I was doing was working, even though it was really uncomfortable to book plane tickets and stay in a hotel and and buy food that, you know, that's money I wouldn't have spent back home. But it, it absolutely turned out great for the company, uh, established many contacts that would help me and bring leads later on. 
I love it. You're familiar with Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich? Absolutely. Have you read his other book, um, Outwitting the Devil? No, I haven't. I got to add it to my list. Oh, look it up. It was only published, uh, I would say, I'm going to say recently. By recent, I mean in the past 10 or 15 years because his family had to keep it quiet uh, because it was that subversive. The reason I bring it up (laughs) is that he had an experience just like you where he was following this inner voice and he booked himself into a hotel, etc., etc., basically spending money, not knowing when, how it was going to come back to him, and then it did. So I love that. I love that story. Where, where, do, where do you see yourself in the next five years, my friend? I love this question, and I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I- what I do is so dependent on the LinkedIn advertising platform. And that is something that literally tomorrow LinkedIn could come out and say, Hey, we're shutting down the platform and I would just be out uh, or it might gain in popularity and I might become more important. So uh, I don't quite know, but uh, I'm sure along for the ride and I'm excited to see what changes because I'm a big fan of change. Well, you know what you just said is interesting because the skill set that you have now, the mindset that you have, I'm sure you would be able to channel that quickly into another lucrative enterprise, even if LinkedIn disappeared. I agree with that. I I think because I have experience in other advertising platforms and other areas of online marketing, I don't think it would be hard at all to to start again what I've started, Uh, but probably with a little bit less credibility. I kind of got to go into the LinkedIn one as being, you know, one of the the world's top advertisers and thought leaders. I kind of have to fight a little bit if I got into a different niche, but I'd sure be willing to. Fantastic. Any favorite books of yours? You know, my favorite one was Drive by uh, by Daniel Pink, and I had a good friend mention him to me uh, when I was at a retreat, and we were talking about how I had an employee that I, I wanted to show him that I was really appreciative of what he was doing. And so I said, uh, hey, I'm thinking about giving this guy a raise, and I can afford to give him a pretty significant raise. And this guy stopped me and said, go read Daniel Pink's Drive and uh, and think about uh, about." the delineation he drives between expected outcomes and uh, um, and kind of bonus outcomes. And what I eventually decided to do was instead of cutting this guy a big raise check to say thank you, uh, I started sending smaller gifts his way. And it saved me a lot of money as a business owner because I wasn't beholden to this higher check to send to him every month. Um, but I'm, I'm cutting, you know, hundred dollar gift cards here and there and, uh, and, you know, shipping him things from Amazon with, with thank you notes. And those felt more special than something like a raise, which is just expected. Once someone has given you a raise, now you're not appreciative of it anymore. That's just part of the package. But every time something new comes in the mail, um, you get excited and you feel special. And I think it allowed me to retain this person and my other employees longer. Wow, I love that. Drive, Daniel Pink. Now I'm going to have to pick that one up. It's worth it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. How about a favorite quote? Let's see. I I think my favorite quote is going to be from John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire fame. Um, and, And that is, the riches are in the niches. And I've definitely seen that in my own life. The more the more expert you become on a certain topic, the more you're going to have the ability to to drive revenue because of it, rather than just being a generalist and saying, I can do everything. I love that. And uh, of course, you know, I, I followed 
John Lee Dumas because I'm part of his podcaster's paradise. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. How can people contact you to take advantage of what you offer, my friend? You know, if you go to b2linked.com and fill out the form there, uh, the person who responds to your email will be yours truly. So that's a great way to get in touch with me personally. Feel free to reach out. Don't feel like, oh, AJ's this big entrepreneur guy. I don't want to take his time. Seriously, write me an email. I'd love to talk even if there's no business involved. I just like to connect with people. Um, and then also, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at WilcoxAJ. That uh, I, I it's my news source, and it's also where I share news um, and where where I share tips and happenings with LinkedIn advertising and other internet marketing. So that's a great place to connect with me as well. Fantastic. And so the website, guys, is the letter B, the number two, and then linked.com. That's the website. Uh and then on Twitter, at WilcoxAJ. By the way, what does AJ stand for? It stands for Andrew James. I went by Andrew for about the first, well, I guess until about fifth grade. And then uh, I went to a family reunion and had one of my uncles call me Andy for some reason. And I, I don't know why that bothered me so much, but ever since then, I've gone by AJ. <laughs> cool. That's cool. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Final you know, words? I, 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 th I think the recommendation I have is become the best in the world at something. Find your something that you're passionate about and that solves a problem. And once you have that, don't be afraid to offer that and charge for that. Because my life has changed considerably, uh, even though I felt like I was kind of forced into it by getting getting laid off at a job. I've never been happier, and I would not regret anything I did up to this point. You know what? I love that. And can you just elaborate a little bit about exactly what things you've been able to do and are doing with you, family, etc., because of your entrepreneurial work that you weren't doing and weren't able to do when you were an employee? Yeah, you know, I, I never went on vacation as an employee. You, you get these like vacation days that accrue and I would eventually just cash them out because, and of course my family is, is here and they're here all day long, uh, except for school for the kids. And I'm sure they would love to go on a vacation. Uh, that just never happened when I was in corporate. But uh, as soon as I hired my very first employee, first of all, the fact that I'm I'm now an employer, I'm helping improve someone else's life. Whereas in corporate, you don't really uh, you don't really get that satisfaction of knowing that you're directly influencing someone's well-being. That's amazing, uh, helping foster a family. And then second of all, as soon as I knew that I had an employee who could take over for me, I went and took a cruise. And then we're we're booked here in about uh, three weeks to go um, on a week-long trip to Hawaii. So, I mean, these are all things that I just wouldn't get to do if I were still in corporate, even if I technically could afford it or be able to save up for it. Um, now they're things that I do because... I'm a lover of experiences, and I'm not tied to my desk anymore. Beautiful. Hey, how old are your children, by the way? Uh, oldest is seven, and youngest is one. Woo! And uh, boys, girls? Uh, half and half. We went boy, girl, boy, girl. I don't know if uh, <laughs> like the textbook perfection in having kids. AJ, I can't thank you enough. You've delivered amazing value. You did it with passion. And, um, hey, this is... Um, a wonderful gift to my audience that I affectionately call storytellers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lewis, thank you so much. And thank you, storytellers, for hanging with me until the very end. <laughs> wow. Storytellers.
I hope that you are feeling the same energy rush that I'm feeling from listening to AJ today. He's given us an amazing education. I mean, it's worth, there are definitely million dollar nuggets in a lot of what he shared with us. And I want to thank you, of course, for being here today live and for supporting the show the way you do. Share this with other people. Pay it forward. Let them know that they can dip into this value on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at changeyourstorypodcast.com. And take advantage of the free gift at that website, the ebook Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Also, we were talking about some great books today. Remember that you can find those and others, which you can download as audiobooks for free at www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Now, during the next week, think about the role that you play. Think about the safe roles that you might be playing that you're only playing because they make you feel safe. Be willing to challenge going into an uncomfortable, scary zone where you might discover a new you, a new story that is more enriching and more empowering. Begin with this powerful question. How can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.